Okay, so welcome to that podcast episode one. I'm Dave. And I'm Bo. Uh, today we're going to talk about why we're starting a podcast, really, and then uh, move on to some pop topics. So I'm going to let Bo start us off on this one. Why are we starting a podcast, Bo? Well, um, there's, a, there's a lot of reasons. A lot of it is that, you know, I, I enjoy talking to you on IRC, and we don't really have a chance to talk in person all that often. And uh, I really don't actually get a talk in person to a lot of people very often. Um, I, I work independently, remotely. Um, so as far as, like, technology things go, like, I don't have a lot of people that I can just sit and talk to. And recently I've done a couple of other things online. Um, I did uh, an episode of PHP Town Hall, uh, which was a lot of fun. And that was like a lot of talking with, you know, other programming people. Um, And I also did, uh, I've been doing the Dev Book Club, which has been a lot of fun. So I actually get a chance to talk to other programmers about programming things uh, online. And that's, I don't know, I feel like I have, a lot to learn as far as actually communicating with other programmers in person. Uh, a lot of times I feel pretty awkward. So this is kind of a, a good excuse for me to actually talk with you uh, and talk with other people. Uh, hopefully I'll get better at that. <laughs> so that was that was one of the main reasons I wanted to do this is just get better at communicating using my voice as opposed to just doing stuff on IRC, which is really super easy for me. Yeah, definitely. I think my motivations echo yours. Um, I work independently. I work from home, um, and it can be quite isolating. Um, when I took this job, I told myself that I was going to make more of an effort to get to meetup groups, conferences, um, and things like this, and it didn't really materialize. Um, there is a meetup group in my local area, but it doesn't meet very often, and it's also a very... Uh, horizontal meetup group it's not much of a niche it's it's for developers whether you're writing php pascal whatever it doesn't matter um so it's not always that on topic for me so i'm I'm less motivated to go there and then the other meetup groups are about maybe about an hour's journey away which makes it more difficult with having family and things so i don't get to interact with as many programmers as i'd like to um and like you said, uh, we talk a lot on IRC, and it's just been nice to talk to you. And the other thing is, I I kind of like contributing back to the community. Um, so, think, doing things like conference talks. You're very active in the on the conference circuit now, doing quite a few talks. Um, I have done it, but I haven't done very much, uh, and I find it quite hard sometimes to think of ideas for talks. Uh, whereas I see this as something where I can talk about the things I'm thinking about without necessarily having, you know, to travel long distances to actually have people want me to uh, talk about it as well. So I'm hoping to get some of those things uh, out there, if you like. Cool. Yeah, the um, the conference thing is an interesting thing. And the, the even the, the user groups, I've been, um, when we first met, I lived in North Dakota and I was super, super isolated. Like, seriously, I don't know if there are any other people in the PHP community in North Dakota. Um, I, I know a handful of people now are in South Dakota. Like I've met them since then, but yeah, I was, I was extremely isolated. So the, um, where, where I'm living now, there's a really active PHP user group, 
which is pretty cool. Uh, they had their first PHP conference last year that I got to talk to, um, or I got to talk at. So that, that was a lot of fun. But yeah, they, they only meet once a month. Um, and I've been traveling so much lately, I haven't really been able to go. And the, the speaking part is an interesting skill too, but it's still different than conversation. You know, it's, um, it's something that I've been practicing a lot and, you know, getting more experience in and more, more exposure and getting up and talking about something I know when I, when I have everything laid out in front of me and I can prepare for it. I, I'm not going to say I'm good at it, but I'm getting more comfortable with it. And, you know, I really like that. But then when I sit down in a group of like five other people and maybe there are other speakers or maybe they aren't and they're all talking about, you know, APIs or whatever it is they're working on, I still sort of feel like I'm kind of sitting in the corner, like keeping quiet and not really interjecting because I don't really know what to say or like, how do I segue into talking to this without sounding like an idiot? Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it, it is a lot of fun to to be a part of those things but it also feels like a different sort of thing than actually conversing with people and interacting with them yeah like really interacting with them so i get that feeling as well i mean i, I wouldn't as far as to say it's imposter syndrome because i feel really confident in the things i know in our field but there is so many things that i don't know at all um you know um i don't know much i, I have a software engineering so i I was in a computer science department at university, but my degree is a software engineering one. But I've forgotten most of what I learned there in terms of the real computer science -y stuff. Um, and when I see some people talking about things, then I, 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 it just goes right over my head. And that's the kind of situation I do find myself in with other programmers sometimes. Um, because it's something I probably could understand it if I took the time, but I don't. And because I have other things to be doing, um, and so yeah i see that as a problem um, but like you say you work on it and and if it if you can make an effort to find it interesting then uh, it should make things easier to talk about i guess yeah and other people just seem to it, you mentioned imposter syndrome and i think that's a lot of what it is like other people just seem to like pull stuff out of nowhere like whatever that we're whatever it is we're talking about it's like oh i read this or i saw this article or i have this link and and I'm like, what do you do all day? <laughs> I mean, uh, do you just sit and, and read all day long? I don't have time for that. I wish I did. And, um, yeah, so there's there's a lot to learn and a lot that, you know, I just don't really feel like I know a whole lot about. And I don't I don't even know where the resources are, where the people are finding this stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, especially, like, on Twitter and following people, and they're all talking about books they're reading, or, oh, so-and-so said this, and it's like, well, who is that? And I look, and they're, like, this really important person who's written a lot of stuff on, you know, whatever it is their, their expertise is on. I'm like, wow, how do I even get into that? There's, like, five of those people I saw yesterday talked about. <laughs> I can't possibly follow them all. I can't possibly even keep that all in my brain, so. Definitely. Um I, I used to pride myself on being able to sort of spread myself thinly and and not know a lot about things, but know at least where to look. But I find that I'm getting worse at that. I don't know. I don't know if it's me uh, reprioritizing things. Uh, I have a family now. Um, I'm actually making an effort to do a few more things outside of work and family without that sounding bad. Some things for myself sometimes. Uh and getting out of the house because working from home makes that difficult as well. Yeah, fam family definitely changed a lot for me too, as far as like how much I'm able to do and 
that's actually something that I'm dealing with, 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 you know, talking about starting a podcast is that, do I really have that extra time to put into it? And, you know, I, I do feel it's important for me to do this and put myself out there and practice some new skills and actually follow through with some of this. So I, I think it is going to be good uh, in the long run, but I can see how in the short term, you know, do I really need to put another thing on my plate, you know, especially with the family and having a startup and having a bunch of open source projects that I'm involved in. And yeah, it's, yeah. So <laughs> maybe that's yeah, a topic well, for another day, you know, all, well, you know kind balancing of, I mean, life and work. Yeah. It, it does run into how we're going to be running the podcast. Um, we're still not a hundred percent sure, are we? But, um, we definitely want a lot of it to be us discussing things. We aren't necessarily going to have a big agenda. We we might have some topics that we're going to line up for the episodes, but we'd like it to be just me and you chatting. Uh, again, maybe getting as deep as we like. Um, I put together a few notes. I've got maybe half a side of A4 here of things, and it's mainly notes to say that if we do discuss this, then it's to prod me so I don't forget something, but <laughs> it's yeah. not it's not taking me long um how much post production will do i don't know how much time but i mean once we um get a site up get our feed up it's just a case of recording uh weekly or bi-weekly whatever we choose to do or bi-monthly whichever way around yeah. it is I, um, I always forget about those i i never know how to do those things <laughs> yeah i'm not sure either so uh, hopefully it won't be too much of a time sink and um, and hopefully if we start getting stuff out of it then or satisfaction out of it then uh, it won't become a chore I mean that's the danger isn't it if it becomes a chore and you feel like it's taking time away from family or work then it's not going to last very long uh, yeah. so we've got to make sure we enjoy it um, so is, is there anything else you're looking to get out of it uh, well putting myself out there in terms of uh, some sort of rec- more recognition in the uh, or reputation in the community would be good. Um, I think it's always quite important to try and build up some sort of presence, even if it's just things like, um, in, even if it's enough that someone might recognize me at a conference and talk to me, um, mm-hmm. you know, without my prodding. Or uh, I think that'd be a massive benefit. Just um, and just building up that network of people, uh, building up um, the look, my look surface area, um, that kind of thing. Um, talking to people as well, other people. Okay, we had, we don't have anything planned now, but we did talk about having guests or building up some sort of panel of people that come in every now and then and talk to us. Um, and that'd be cool. Um, I'm sure we'll be able to get some people. Uh, other than that, I haven't really given it much more thought. I've just been thinking about what I'm going to say, really, rather than what I'm going to get out of it. Uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I think that I, I have the same sort of. Uh, same sort of expectations where, you know, I'm hoping that uh, if anything, I'll meet new people out of this and more people will want to talk with me, not because I'm someone that people should talk to necessarily, but just, you know, expanding, expanding my network and making sure that other people are interested in talking to me about interesting things. And, you know, if, if no one knows who I am, I'm not going to learn from them directly. So, so be a good way to do that. Yeah, I don't think um, I'm not really the preaching kind. So when we do get onto things like programming topics, I'm probably going to offer up my offer up my opinions. And if my opinions help to 
let people explore and find their own opinions. I think that's something I'd be I'd be happy with. Um, I don't need to intend to spread gospel about anything in particular. Um, I don't I don't have that strong opinion that many strong opinions about the, the way to do things. Um, so I think that'd be good as well if I can get some satisfaction from helping others, even that, no matter how it is. Obviously, uh, that'd be a good thing. So yeah, I'm I'm actually really new to podcasts, so I'm not sure what people normally expect to get out of them. Um, I don't know how many I've actually listened to. Um, like I, I did the PHP Town Hall thing, and as far as I was concerned, that was a video podcast, you know, and um, yeah. it was a, a video thing that happened live. I, I've never really tuned into these things ever. Like I've just not paid attention to them at all. And actually, um, I think you you we started talking in december i mean we were talking before that a little bit but definitely in december we were talking about me trying to move into full-time consulting and you mentioned a couple of resources and one of them that you mentioned was the tech zing podcast and i didn't actually listen to it right away i don't think i think it took me a little while to actually listen but now that i'm commuting to the co-working space in madison um what's a 30 to 45 minute drive on normal days, um, I found that, hey, you know, I should listen to that podcast Dave mentioned. (laughs) So I've been listening to that and I've been really enjoying it. And they're not necessarily teaching me anything, but I'm kind of hearing their lives, you know, both somewhat personal and their extracurricular activities. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, I'm not getting anything tangible out of it necessarily, but I do feel like it's helping me to basically hear what other people are going through and what kind of challenges they're facing, how they solve those problems. So yeah, it's been, um, it's, it's been really cool. So I, that's actually what kind of got me thinking in addition to having done the PHP town hall and this dev book club thing, I was like, maybe I should find someone to talk to and then we could record it. <laughs> and, uh, I think that's when I approached you. I'm like, Hey, do you want to have a, a, a talk with me every once in a while on, you know, we could, do Google Hangouts or whatever, and then hey, maybe we could record it. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and it. And I think <laughs> I think you figured out which direction I was heading with that pretty pretty quickly. I wasn't too sly, but <laughs> well, yeah. But I mean, I listened. I've listened to texting for many years now, and it it sounds kind of sad, but I almost it feels sometimes like it's a a one way friendship. Um, you know, like I've been a fly on the wall in their lives and conversations for so long. Um, it's really strange. I I, um, I have a dog, and I'm, so I'm walking the dog regularly, uh, at least twice a day now. Um, and so that's when I use the time to listen to the podcast. And I love texting. Uh, I listen to quite a few others as well. Some I listen to religiously and listen to every episode. Some I cherry pick now and then, uh, just depending on you know what guests they've got on, what topics they have. Um, I always listen to texting, um, sometimes I skip the interviews or I'll listen to part of an interview and if I'm not digging it then I'll uh, I'll, I'll I'll leave it on my podcast player for a rainy day when I don't have any other podcasts to listen to and things like that but in general yeah I love that feeling of uh, hearing what they're doing because um, I mean they talk I mean they're obviously very good at what they do but they don't really talk about programming all that much sometimes it's more about the businesses uh, the personal lives and how they intermingle uh, and um they're both quite good storytellers as well. Um, they've, they've lived quite exciting lives by the sounds of things, and uh, it's always great to hear that kind of thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, but their lives are also pretty mundane. So I think a lot of it is in their their storytelling aspects, and I think that's kind of what I want to yeah help definitely get better at. So yeah, so it's 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 been a lot of it's been a lot of fun, kind of learning a little bit about what it can be like to to listen to that sort of thing. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's pretty it's pretty exciting. And of course, um, the other one I, I've been listening to is Bootstrapped with Kids, and uh, that kind of uh. When I first started listening, that rang a bell with me because obviously I've got young children just like yourself, and uh, and I, I like the honesty in that podcast. They're, uh, you know, they they're expecting the kids to burst into the room at any minute, shouting and screaming, <laughs> and things yeah. like that. I mean, hopefully, uh, I'm going to avoid that. Mine aren't here today, so. Uh, but yeah, yeah, and I, I planned this to be a day that I was actually at the co-working space. So, uh, uh, yeah, rather rather than worrying about uh, the kids coming in. Uh, I have to worry about whether or not the co-working Wi-Fi is going to be stable today. Cool. So, <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a co-working space in the city nearest to me, um, and it's uh, you can do like a hot desk membership. But I've uh, and it's something I would consider one day, but not at the minute, mainly because I don't have a car, um, and it would be a pain to. I don't. Public transport isn't that bad, but it's bad enough. When I've got a perfectly good office at home, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. But I would like to get out of uh, my home office once in a while and and be around some other people doing the same sort of thing. Um, so that's maybe on the plan for next year or something. Yeah, I, I've been um, I've been really liking it a lot. I've I've went to the first my first co working space last fall, I think, or maybe last summer uh, when when we went out of town to another place in Wisconsin. And I loved it. It was great. And so um, I started looking around Madison, and some of them were more expensive than the one in the little town was. Uh, it just took a little while for me to really convince myself that it was worth it um, because it is a 30, 45-minute drive. And so is that is it going to be worth it to spend an hour to an hour and a half driving each day? Uh, but after living in my current living situation for just over six months now it's definitely worth it <laughs> yeah uh, the, the the amount of uh distractions that i have throughout the day when i stay when i'm working out of the basement like I, I don't actually have an office exactly it's more like a corner of an open basement and you know the kids are there upstairs running around so i hear them all the time uh both moms are there I, at some point i'll talk a little bit more about my living situation but we're living with another family right now yeah and between the two families there's three three-year-olds and they're noisy as you would expect three-year-olds to be especially when there's three of them so um there's a lot of a lot of chances for disruption and interruptions and you know uh my wife doesn't intentionally mean to interrupt me but you know we've all seen the the video or the little uh cartoon of what happens when you interrupt a programmer <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Where exactly. like building this complex you know, uh, context in their brain and someone comes by, Hey, I sent you that thing. And it's just immediately gone. And that happens all day long when I stay at home, even when they don't intend to. So, yeah, um, I've tried to explain that to my wife in that when, so I have, um, roughly three days, uh, the wife and kids are out of the house. Um, my wife's working. My daughter is at preschool and my son goes to my mum's. um, so those those days are quite quiet. I still have to do a bit of work because I'm helping get the kids ready in the morning, and sometimes that can take me quite a while. Uh, and I pick Evelyn up from preschool at four o'clock, which is quite early for a, 
a normal working day, so I usually work the evening to make up for that. But the other two days, when they're at home, I get those same distractions. Um, I've tried to explain to my wife that I actually like having them at home during my working day, and I like coming down to play, uh, to take a long lunch, you know, that kind of thing. It's, it's really, I consider it a real privilege that I can sit down and have three, ma- three meals a day at my dining table with my whole family. Um, but I like those breaks and that time with the family on those days to be on my terms. So when I decide it's time for to play, <laughs> that's when we play rather than when they decide. Um, and it, to be fair, my wife's really good. Uh, she tries to protect me as much as she can. But uh, now my daughter's three. She she pretty much has the run of the house. She quite often uh, she'll say to my wife, I need to go to the toilet. My wife will say, of course, go. And what she really means is she, she wants to come upstairs and pester daddy. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, uh, nice. And once she's up here, I can't get rid of her. Um, she, you know, she says, "Oh, can I just do some colouring on the floor?" And of course, you think that's fine, but of course, you know, she can't do colouring without you contributing to whatever she's drawing or seeing whatever she's drawing and uh, drawing all over things uh, with sharpies and uh, whatnot. <laughs> But yeah, definitely, um, co-working space at some point would be really nice. I think. Yeah, it's 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 been nice. It's been it's been worth it. I think so. So, what have you been working on recently? Um. Well, so I have a startup in Seattle that is uh, building uh, wearable technology, um, and we've been talking about this for at least a couple of years. It feels like uh, I think we actually finally started. The, we actually created a couple of business entities last year, like in June or July. But we've been kind of dancing around the same sort of themes for at least two years now. Uh, so yeah, that's that's probably half of my time. Um, the last two weeks, it's been all of my time, and that's been a little stressful because it doesn't. It, it only pays for half of my living expenses or not yep. living expenses, but basically half of my income comes from that. So uh, for the last four or five months, I've been trying to uh, fill up the other half of my income with the other half of my time. Uh, so that's the other part that I've been working on is the, the consulting stuff. So uh, when, when I end up working full time on the startup for, for two weeks, it really makes me and my wife nervous about, well, if you have a bad month, normally it's really close. <laughs> if, you, if you end up having a bad month and you only have two weeks to uh, actually try to get the rest of that money somehow, uh, it can be a little stressful. So it's, it's, it's still new for us and trying to mm. figure that out and not get really super stressed about it is, is difficult. Um, and tech is next week. Uh, which is basically Tuesday through Friday, uh, which leaves me a full week and a half, if I'm lucky, of trying to uh, make a lot of money doing consulting. <laughs> yeah. Um, so th- that's kind of what's on my brain right now is, all right. Um, and and again, this comes back to, do I really have a couple of hours to spend recording a podcast? <laughs> when, you know, this is, this is precious time um, for for uh, doing things that could actually be making money. But again, not everything is going to be making money and not everything that's beneficial to me as a person or even to my business um, is actually 
working to make money. So definitely, just on that, um, if this has some sort of positive impact on my life, happiness, whatever, I know it'll make a positive impact on my work. Um, So this week's been difficult for me because on Tuesday, um, my mum couldn't look after my son for the day. So I looked after Rowan all day uh, Tuesday, which meant on Tuesday I had to fit a day's childcare and a day's work into one day. Uh, So I've been playing catch-up all week. So I've worked all day, all night, every day this week. So this is almost like my first bit of me time, downtime this week. Uh, I mean, not obviously in and around work, I'm hanging around my family, which is also downtime, but not quite the same. And I, I have to see it like that. So at some point we do have to make some sacrifices and do something for ourselves in order to keep, maintain happiness and things, which should have yeah. a positive out, income, uh, positive outcome with regards to our work and things. So, Yeah. So my, my, um, my my wife is re- my wife likes to be organized. I'm so unorganized. I create piles of mail and don't open them for six months at a time, which can cause a lot of problems. We we just ran through that this week. Actually, um, she she asked me, "Hey, do we ever get mail from Seattle?" And I like walked out of the room on her. <laughs> she said, "Hey, come back here. I was talking to you." And um, what what she didn't know because I I didn't tell her was i was walking to get this big huge stack of (laughs) mail that was given to me a month ago by my business partner in seattle because he he lives in seattle he goes gets the mail and forwards it to us well he hasn't done that for six months so but a month ago he actually gave me in person this huge stack of mail that was still sealed in this big big envelope and so i said here you go (laughs) she said what is this and i said um this is the mail from Seattle. And so she opened it up and her jaw dropped. And uh, it basically had stuff going back to like October of last year in it. And because she, she was looking for some statement. She's like, well, maybe that goes to Seattle still. It's like an old bank statement from a bank we don't really use a lot anymore. Um, and sure enough, inside there was a couple of, of statements that she was looking for. Um, there was also a check from when we canceled our homeowner's insurance last year after we sold our house. Uh, we got some money back from the insurance company, and it had a uh, had a date of November 11th. No, November 26th or something like that. And um, it said uh, valid for six months. Yeah. So I I opened it and I looked at it and I did the calculation. I said, "Hey, honey." I said, guess what? <laughs> we have six days to deposit this. And she said, deposit what? And I handed it to her. And she's like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> so, so I know how long that mail has been there because it's, you know, that check was only good for six months. Um, and yeah, so it's it's kind of fun. Anyway, so what she, uh, to bring this back, she, um, she likes to organize things. And she uh, created this. She took one of my whiteboards and basically said, oh, I'm excited you have all these new jobs and all these new opportunities and kind of wrote down all the jobs and asked me how many hours a week I needed to, to work on it. Um, this was for May, No, for April, throughout April. And we came up with 47 hours of work per week potential that I should be uh, working on um, in May uh, if all of those jobs came through. Um, and, and really some of those should have been toward the end of April as well. And I look at that and I'm like, wow, 
47 hours is a lot of time. Um, and I don't know if she always understands what that means because that's, you know, billable hours are different than like me being at the computer. You know, Absolutely. there's a, there's, yeah. a, there's a good two or three hours a day of, you know, learning and shuffling through emails and responding to people. And some of it is, is, is fluff stuff like sitting on IRC and talking with people or whatever. Um, that stuff adds up over time as well. But 47 hours is a lot of time to, to fit in, um, especially when weekends are precious and those are family times. So it's like, well, how do I fit all of this into a week? And she's right, super excited, like, oh, you've got all this, these, these potential. And, and then the reality of, okay, well, that means I have to work 12 hour days <laughs> and, and not see you guys very much at all. So it's, 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 it's an interesting thing trying to work family into doing these these projects and trying to have other things going on as well like Sculpin Sculpin has been so basically ignored for a while just because there's actual work that needs to be done and well, it's kind happens, of a bummer yeah yeah and it's like you you go through periods where it's like okay well I actually worked on it a lot for you know a month at for one month, maybe it's like super important in your life. Um, and then uh, other things come up and you just kind of let it sit for a while and then you let it sit for a little while longer and then you get back into it and are able to play with it. Um, I, I've been, I have a bunch of projects like that, that especially now that I've spent time on Reflex, uh, the startup in Seattle, um, for the last two weeks, it's been really hard to get anything else done that's worth that's making money much less anything that doesn't you know like yeah going to fix sculpin bugs like really i don't have time for that right now um so so yeah uh trying to fit everything into schedule with family can be definitely a challenge sometimes yeah i think so um but on the bright side um you're doing more consulting or you're planning to do more consulting and you still uh finding your feet with that so that's going to get better i assume i think it will yeah uh, if i know you better yeah <laughs> yeah um and of course as you build up reputation and things like that work might start coming to you and you'll be able to turn down work you'll be able to raise your rates work less um you know i mean i'm i'm in a full-time job so it, or in full full-time employment so it's a bit different for me but it's hard for me to uh, to understand or to properly uh, understand you the way you feel or the way you're dealing with that kind of thing. Uh, but the minute I'm quite happy with how much I'm working, I do work long hours, um, but I do it because I I want to see the company succeed. You know, I have a small stake in the company. Uh, I like seeing it being successful, uh, and it means a lot to me. So I probably work more than I should, uh, but at this stage in my life and I know I can do it um, and because I'm at home I still see more than, more of my family than most of the dads out there um, you know what I mean it's, I consider myself very lucky to work from home um, it's, I don't think it's as prevalent uh, in the UK as it is in the US um, but yeah so yeah I feel for you in that respect it's hard when you've got that I mean I, I also know how flexible I can be with my boss um, in that you know if I 
if he knew I was stressed out, he'd probably say take the day off, you know, without question. We don't have um, deadlines. I mean, we we are kind of a startup, but we're very established. We've been around for uh, maybe six six years now, or five years, or something like that. Um, so there's no tight deadlines really, or anything like that for me. Um, I just keep working to improve the product and improve the experience for our users. So if it gets delayed a day, it gets delayed a day. On the, on the flip side, I am I am also support and maintenance. So if something goes wrong, then I'm expected to jump on it and work until it's fixed, which uh, can be quite stressful. Uh, but I think that balances out. So your project, you're actually the... You're the main technical person, right? You're the, you're the yes. programmer. Are there, are there other programmers as well, or is it just you? Not at, not at this time. Um, just me at the minute. Um, we are thinking about bringing somebody in later in the year uh, to offload a bit of work from me. Um, but it's just thoughts at the minute. But yeah, I'm sole programmer, uh, which has its own challenges. Uh, but it also means it uh, makes very things very flexible for me, uh, my approach, Um it's kind of nice um, being able to make all the decisions that I need to um, without having to compromise sometimes. I mean, obviously, I'm not such a cowboy uh, to leave the code base in a state that if I were to get hit by a bus, then nobody would be able to pick it up. But um, I do get to make those decisions. And if I have to take shortcuts, then it's, I know it's only me who has to deal with them for the short term at the very least. Um, and I think that's quite cool. Yeah, so that means you basically get to build the project as you want to. So I, I can see how that would be a lot more fun to work yeah. for like a full-time job if it's basically your project and you get to do all of that. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, um, I am constrained by our hosting. At the minute we used a, a hosting provider and they are managed servers. So I can't go so crazy. Uh, but I actually find that restriction quite good, you know, I don't see something, think, wow, I'll go and install that and put it in production straight away because I can't. Uh, but then with things like um, all the hosted services you can get out there, I've just started using Amazon's SQS as a queue um, for minor things, and uh, that's easy enough to spin up. And With everything being HTTP APIs, uh, it, I don't find it that inflexible that I'm uh, struggling to get things done, if you like. So that's kind of cool. Cool. Um, the last um, the last sort of couple of months have been a bit different for me anyway I'm, I am obviously in charge of the technical things but I do my opinion is valued with regards to how we run the business and how the user experience works out and having spent the last couple of years really pushing myself in terms of learning about software architecture uh, methodologies and trying to improve that side of my skill set I'm actually I think I've got to a point where I actually feel quite confident about that kind of thing now. So I've turned my focus onto the more entrepreneurial type thing. Um, and it's strange how I've started to compromise the things I've learned with regards to systems and architecture and that kind of thing in order to improve either the experience or improve our performance or our bottom line or income or things like this. Um, and it's uh, it's strange, uh, but I I think it's a a good experience so far, and I'm enjoying it as well. Seeing a bit more, um, 
I guess, uh, seen a bit more um, of my work hitting the bottom line, if you see what I mean. Uh, you know, there's one thing improving my the, the architecture and uh, improving my deployment pipeline and things like that, and I can see those benefits. And I think my boss can as well, but the users probably don't see it that much. But then when I really start to put to think about the way the user experience works and uh, changing those kinds of things, then I can see the direct um, benefits, and so can the people who use our site and stuff. So I, I'm quite excited about that and doing those kinds of things. Just recently, I've one of the things I've been doing is uh, just our registration form is a mile long. We ask for everything up front, and there's so little that we actually need for you to just come in and use the site as a regular user. Um, so it's almost like a backward step. So you you cut down the registration form, but then you almost have to go through the whole product to make sure. Uh, parts of the site aren't good to be expecting data to be here um, but then once you've done something like that and you put it out into production and you see the registration conversion rate go up 10% in a day it's really really nice um, and I, I like that feedback so previously I've been getting I've been enjoying the feedback from how quickly I can make changes and push them to the production how quickly I go through my TDD feedback cycle uh, and I still get that, but now I'm seeing more of the feedback when I'm monitoring the system, how it's working for our users and, and for us as well. And I think it's really cool. So that's what I've been looking at the last couple of months, really. Uh, nothing really of interest in the last week or so, I'd say. Yeah, my 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 immediate uh, projects that I've been working on um, have, have sort of been similar. I I was sort of strong-armed into deploying uh, our our wearables product site basically overnight. Um, originally, I had a week to build it, uh, which seemed too short to me, but I thought it was doable, and then the, the deadline, you know, came and passed, and I, 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 still do, I still don't even have all of the content that I was needing to put on the site, but it's live now. <laughs> so, um, but... You know, I've been working on the back end trying to, you know, sort of plan for this needs to be potentially a product that or uh, a service that can account for a lot of things in the future. So I've been, you know, trying to model it and design it really well, but also trying to do it as quickly as I can. And it still wasn't fast enough to do that, even no matter how fast I tried to model it and code it and write tests for it. Um, it just wasn't fast enough. So I ended up basically in four hours adding a, a Stripe checkout thing and just added it. And about two days before, I had been laughing to myself because um, I go back and forth with my friend Josh in Seattle a lot. And uh, like our, our, our backgrounds are a little different in, in where we came from and kind of our approach to things like I'm, I'm more architecture and design and plan it well make sure it works and uh, he, he's he's trying to get into that more but he's also very much hey I made a made a whole Silex shopping cart site in a day <laughs> and yeah. it works and it's all hard-coded and it's not very but but it works you know he actually has something that he can show people and yeah um, he's a product guy yeah and I um I'd been thinking to myself, 
you know, I, I, I hired my first subcontractor off Odesk and we'd been working on this site for like a week and a half and we still haven't really gotten to the point where we're actually integrating with Stripe. We're just kind of like laying to the foundation. I thought, you know, Josh would have had the site done in a day. <laughs> yeah, you're telling him. Yeah, and I, I'm not, am I doing it wrong is kind of what was going through my brain. And then, you know, the next morning I was like, okay, well, you know what? I, I know that this is something that we're going to have to use for a long time. So it makes sense to sort of put it up, you know, put it up right and actually think through some of these things and plan it well. And then the very next day at one o'clock in the afternoon, hey, we might get some PR tomorrow. So we need to have the site live. <laughs> yeah. So I, I ended up having to put everything I was doing on hold and basically hard code everything in. Um, and so it, it was kind of an interesting little roller coaster going through that. Should I actually be over engineering this or not? And kind of going through the process of, okay, well, now the site's live. And now, basically, I, ha I, I can build to that. I can keep building the, the architecture stuff, and eventually it'll catch up to the live site, and then the integration will hopefully just be there. It'll be, it'll be done in time. But um, it was kind of fun to walk through that process of, okay, well, now it just needs to be done and do it in, in basically four hours when we'd already spent, you know, 30 hours building, trying to build a different system out. So the, the business side of things is often at odds with the core architectural design stuff that certain types of people like to do. Like we like to make sure it's, it's Definitely, really good, yeah. but not, yeah. So I, but, I enjoy um, that a lot, but yeah, it doesn't just, always mesh well. In my opinion, though, the, the fact that you do enjoy it, the fact that you've taken time to learn it um, counts for a lot. And the way I see it is that when it comes to just doing it, you're more than capable of the person who hasn't learned the things you've learned about architecture of just doing it. But you also have that in your back pocket for when you need it. Um, so um, a couple of guys from the Laravel community, uh, Ian Landsman runs... Um, Use escape and be snappy, and he put out a couple of tweets about the whole decoupling from the framework. He thinks it's a waste of time. Um, you know that kind of thing. And he's a product guy. You know he's built a successful startup. I think he's onto his second or third product or whatever. And so that's where he's coming from. He wants, you know, to build things quickly. Doesn't matter how they get it done. Um, and I I started thinking that's. You know, I understand where he's coming from totally. But then I also know that two of the people who work with him are, well, one's Taylor Otwell, who I, I'm more than confident, fully understands the reasons why you decouple things from the framework, where you decouple things from the framework. Another one is, um, I think his name is Chris, Chris something with an F. Um, and I also know he fully understands those sort of architectural things. So even if they are just getting things done at their startup, he has two developers who more have taken the time to understand all those things about decoupling from the framework. Do you see what I'm getting at? Like, yeah, they're they're getting things done, but they've made the conscious decision to get things done, knowing they could do it a different way if yeah. they're so pleased or if they're so necessary. And I think that's a big difference between between that and somebody just getting things done when they don't really know any better. Mm -hmm. um, and I really like the 
I think I saw um, Dan North tweet something about this, um, but I'm sure other people have said similar things. Um, you've got to have seen a lot of clean, clo- clean code uh, before you know um, if co- if code is clean enough or something like that. You've got to write a lot of clean code before you can write code that's clean enough. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the kind of stage I feel like I'm at now. Uh, I feel like I'm comfortable that I can write some very clever stuff or I can just get things done when I need to and I know when to make those decisions. Um, and yeah. Is it the business demands that it get, needs to be done in four hours? You get it done the quick, as quickly as possible. Yeah. Uh, you know, and if you were going to, for all, uh, you're going to be maintaining this system for a long time, for all we know, you know, if you hadn't, if you'd missed that PR deadline and lost out on some PR, the business might not be around for as long as it should be or as long as you thought it might be in terms of the software, you never know. Uh, so you just got to, it's all about compromise, isn't it? So, I mean, speaking of that, one of the topics we had for this week was the TDD's Dead saga. I think we missed the boat a little bit um, in terms of the main blog posts, but uh, still still going on in, in some people's minds, and I think some people are still chatting about it. Um, now, I think I've come through TDD. Um, I do have an opinion on it. I, I don't... I would never preach it to somebody as something you should do uh, but I just I would suggest that everybody tries it learns it masters it I would not that I'm a ma- not that I've mastered it but I'm fairly accomplished I think um it's another sort of string to your bow um to say it's dead I think was you know flame bait or whatever you whatever you call it is it link bait you know he's trying yeah. to get attention mm-hmm uh, that's the kind of person he is. He's not. He wasn't a one-off. That's just the way he rolls. Um, and I think part of it was, I think part of it was misdirected because he started off with the whole test first, and then he moved on to isolated tests as what he thought was the thing that damages design. Um, and I, I, I've seen it damage design when you, and it's basically you know. You can take things too far in terms of abstractions and things like that, but I personally don't feel like you know isolating isolated test cases are a bad thing. Yes, you can mock too much. Uh, I maintain mockery, uh, so I get quite a few support requests where people are mocking literally everything that they can, and sometimes it's you know we're talking five, six, seven collaborators, which I mean, so you've got a problem with the design there anyway, but this. The fact that they're mocking everything there, you know, should be telling them that, uh, but it doesn't always work out that way. So it can be a mess. But then the sort of integration or system style test that DHH was advocating can also get really messy. Um, and it goes back to that context thing as, as well for me. Um, I just mentioned how Ian was talking about he doesn't see the point in decoupling from the framework. And this is very similar. I mean, DHH saying he doesn't see the point in decoupling from the framework. But he's also the person who, you know, initially wrote the framework. He also probably hires some of the best Ruby programmers or Rails programmers around. You know, so they're all going to be very experienced. They all know about these kind of things. Uh, And I think that makes a massive difference. 
I think the product that he works on, or products he works on, probably tie in with his test philosophy more than a lot of other people's. Um, you know, if you were if you were working on some sort of security product, I'd want thousands of tests. I'd want every line to be covered, that kind of thing. Whereas a, a to-do app, as he calls it, you know, you make compromises, don't you? Um, but also the environment as well. If you're in an agile environment, you know, what's the definition of done? Uh, comes up a lot, doesn't it? And uh, if it doesn't have tests, is it done? What kind of tests? I don't know if people make that kind of distinction. Um, but that makes a big difference. I just hope people don't take it, what he says, as, uh, you know, TDD is dead, so let's not even bother learning it, because I, he he has learned. This is the thing, he has learned it. He's done it, and now he's decided he doesn't like it. That's perfectly fine with me, but he's got a quite a big voice, and to come out and say things like that, it's kind of uh, damaging, I think. Um, as someone who you don't do TDD, do you? you don't you do tests, but not TDD up front. You don't test first. I'm definitely not test first, um, and I, I don't. I, I, we've talked about this before that I don't really think I understand what TDD is. Um, because my, my naive understanding was that it's basically you write the test first. And if you don't write the test first, then you're not doing test-driven development. Um, I'm getting the sense that there's maybe more to it than just that. Um, but yeah, I've, I very rarely write the actual test first, not, not in a organized, structured way. Um, I'll, I'll often write pseudocode first to basically um, try out the API without actually ever writing any code. Like, okay, I'm gonna need, I, I think I need these collaborators and when I call it in this way, this is the what I expect to get. So I, I feel like I might be sort of doing that except I'm not solidif- solidifying that and actually putting yeah. that in a, a test file that can be run and fail. Um, yeah. Doing CDD without the tooling. Uh-huh. Right. Um, so in that sense, maybe I, maybe I do a little bit, um, but I don't know. I don't know what else there is to it than that. I've, but I know I've never actually uh, religiously created tests before I write code ever. Like I don't know if I've ever actually done that. So if, if that's the core requirement of TDD, then no, I've never done TDD before. Well, I I have, and um, I tend to. Now I'm gonna say BDD, but I don't really do proper BDD. Um, I don't really, I don't know if I do proper ATDDD, acceptance test-driven development. I don't know if I do specification by example, but I do tend to write outside in, in that kind of style. So I'll write some sort of full-stack acceptance system, end-to-end test, and then I'll move in through the system, writing more focused tests as I get down, um, and definitely writing more degenerate cases as I get further down the stack. Um, and I think the difference is that DHH is saying that he'd stop somewhere, whereas I he wouldn't go as far down as me. So I will go down to what I consider a unit, which tends to be a class or a small collection of classes and write behavioral tests for all those. And I will isolate those from their collaborators. Um, and my opinion is that firstly... I mean, these tests, the isolated tests, are faster tests. So if you're mocking, you're going to get faster tests. There's no doubt about that. 
and it's really nice to have. It really does make your feedback loop really nice. Um, I have keys mapped in Vim so I can run tests really quickly, um, and I really like that. Um, but the more important thing about them being fast is I think people are more likely to run them if they're fast. People are more likely to maintain them properly if they run fast. And I think that's that's quite important. Um, I like having the slow tests as well. I have plenty of slow tests. Uh, but I usually leave that to run once an hour, or definitely I leave it to continuous integration to run. Um, and sometimes when I've finished a feature, I look at the acceptance tests that run through the full system, and I look at the unit tests I have at a lower level, and there's a lot of crossover there, and the unit tests aren't adding much value. And I generally don't delete those unit tests, but I wouldn't hesitate to if they became a pain to maintain. Um, and the way I see it is, the more tests I have, the more confidence I have, which means I can push things into a deployment pipeline more often. Um, you know, at one point I was deploying like once every few days when I thought it might be safe. Or when I, or when I was really confident that the things had changed that week weren't going to screw things up. Whereas now I push to production several times a day quite happily. Um, and that makes it easier as well, you know. Um, so yeah, I just think it was all a bit of a hullabaloo. I think a lot of the things that have been brought up have been, we've been discussing for quite some time, just no one's been shouting about it. Um, it's been quite, it was, if anything really good has come from it is the, uh, Hangout, Google Hangouts. So there's another one, uh, the first one was last week. There's another one tomorrow with Kent Beck. DHH and uh, Martin Fowler and uh, the time boxing them at half an hour uh, so it's not going to suck up too much of your time and you can play in the background while you're working but there's three quite prominent members of the programming community chatting about things and I think that's quite nice uh, to have just like listening to a podcast I guess so yeah yeah I have a hard time listening to things during the day um, so the the drive is a nice time to do that but I I cannot listen to, I, I think this is an age thing, maybe. I, I can't listen to people talking while I'm working and have it sink in. And in fact, it's very distracting for me. Um, I've, I've recently started to try uh, more actively to find music that I can listen to that doesn't have vocals, um, just because it's easier for me to work to. And I, it used to not, it, it used to be the case that I could listen to whatever I wanted music wise you know if it had a lot of a lot of lyrics or whatever that was great um but yeah i i don't know sort sort of like the people who like how, how do you find the time to read all of that like i see people like posting these youtube videos of talk conference talks and um like this discussion that you're referring to now i don't know how people find time to watch those things and listen to those things because i can't it's not something I can easily do passively, like throughout the day. It's I would have to actually sit and watch or listen to those things. Um, yeah, I I have both. I have different levels. So some things that I think I'm going to get a lot of benefit from, I will sort of queue up to watch while I eat my lunch or that kind of thing. And I have I have things like conference talks open in tabs uh, for days where I'll 
watch 15 minutes here or there. And then there are other things where I can background. Um, so while I'm working, they're on in the background. I'm listening occasionally, but not occasionally that much. Um, and that's what I did with the Hangouts thing, basically. Um, so I gleamed a bit of from here and there, but I, I wasn't giving it my full attention. Uh, but I, I understand what you're saying. I definitely can't listen to the podcast I want, really want to listen to while I'm working. I just can't do it. Um, yeah. It's hard. Um, I, I don't have a problem with the music, though. I don't mind the vocals. That doesn't bother me at all. So. Yeah, every once in a while, um, I'll, I'll run into something that I'll find is really distracting vocal-wise. I, st- I, uh, I started listening to a service called Focus at Will, uh, and their their whole thing is finding music that is the right tempo and the right mood and specifically lack of vocals. Um, it's basically a highly focused Pandora that ha- I think they have five or six channels, so you can get like a... There's a... Um, a cinema channel or something like that. It's like cinema, like epic-y cinema sounding music. Um, it's a upbeat one, uh, down-tempo, like chill chill dance music. Um, and then they have um, an actual like dancey, like high-energy high music. But all of it is like free of vocals. Um, and, and I've been liking that quite a bit. The, the only problem is that the playlist is a little too small. So I'm, I'm already feeling like mm. anytime I, I start it up it's I've heard this song before and that that gets distracting to me so um, but I, I kind of like that idea and the, I'm, I'm finding that I'm liking the um, classical music station a lot more than I thought I would and I've heard that a lot in the past that classical music is really good for productivity but I've never enjoyed listening to it necessarily I usually would have preferred like some sort of like dance music or something like that and something a little more energetic but I've been I've been really liking the, the classical music mm. feed just because pro- probably because I don't know the songs very well yet um, but also or the, don't know the music very well yet um, yeah but I sometimes yeah. uh, I sometimes put on games soundtracks so mm. I say soundtrack I suppose to be called score really you know mm. original music for games uh, I find this sort of a, a little bit atmospheric uh but without being too distracting, I quite like that. Yeah. There's loads of those available on Spotify. Yeah. Nice. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, the whole... So, going back to the, the TDD thing, uh, I don't feel like it affected any of my own opinions. I just hope it hasn't put people off giving it a try. Because um, mm-hmm. I think it is a skill that people should, you know, give a little bit of effort to, to learning and to appreciating before they go on and you know, decide it's dead or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, testing so, yeah. is something that, that I know is super important. Um, and, I, and I try to do it when I can. Um, I just don't... I, I, I struggle with the organization a little bit of like trying to figure out what's a unit test or what, what's an integration test, what's a unit test, what's a um, functionality test. And how do I actually organize that in my code base? And I find that actually hinders my ability to move forward. Um, so I end up just writing unit tests because I understand that I, I create a, a test for each class and I test that class. It's really easy. As soon as I start moving beyond that, it, I'm, I get more confused as to where I should put things. And 
yeah. I don't know if TDD would actually help that in any way. Uh, in a lot of ways, I feel like it's like uh, it's like how a lot of people first approach Silex. Like they don't know where anything goes, <laughs> and yeah. really, you can put it anywhere. You can you can create you can build out um, a Silex app in any number of ways, and all of them are just as valid. And some of them might be better organized than yeah, others. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but really, you can put it anywhere. So I, I feel like I get too caught up in the well, I don't know what to do here, so I'm just going to not write any integration tests or functional tests because I don't know where I would put them or, you know, people will laugh at me if I do it wrong or whatever, you know. I just, I don't really understand. And with the mocking, like, I know early on we were talking about some of the the testing that I was doing where I was actually mocking Doctrine at some point. Like, I was mocking Doctrine repositories and mocking Doctrine connections and... um, like I, I don't know where I, I don't know where to end with that kind of thing. And um, recently, I've started with some of more of the the DDD related uh, projects, um, not mocking anything at the entity and value object layer, um, because it didn't feel like I needed to. And those are all like discrete little components and pieces and it seemed like I should be able to just test them directly so I don't know if that makes them a unit test anymore <laughs> you know if I'm actually I, collaborating, I would say so yeah yeah if I'm actually collaborating with live entities and live value objects is that still a unit test if they're not isolated and mocked or whatever so I mean I there's a lot of that that I don't understand um, and maybe I, if I dove into like TDD a little more I might Maybe that would be more clear, or maybe that's an entirely different set of questions. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I think a few people have their own definitions. I mean, for me, I have acceptance tests, and acceptance tests are tests that are driven by some sort of specification. Um, so that's usually Gherkin and Behat for me. Um, I then have some integration tests, but I don't have many, which are PHP unit tests that are going to that are going to touch external services, such as a database, such as a network, such as a file system. Although, if I'm really honest, I quite often hit the file system in unit tests. I don't I, I don't mock out the file system. Um, I know some people do. I honestly don't see much point in doing so. Um, I'm more than capable of quickly cleaning up the file system before and after I run a test. Um, so in, and that leaves anything else as a unit test. Um, a lot of my unit, I, I don't mock entities, or very rarely do I mock entities. Um, if no, the reasons a lot of people end up mocking entities is because those entities are hard to construct. You know, if you have to construct a fairly difficult object graph, people think, oh, "I'll just create a mock." Um, and this, and it, some again, sometimes I would just create a mock as well, but the the. The way, the way I usually get around it is I have uh, what some people call object mothers. So if you take the uh, a user as an example, I will have a class called example users in my test suite, which has a bunch of static methods that you just call example user colon colon free member. And that will return you an object graph for a free member with most of what you need, you know, um, and that's how I do it. Um, 
So you've still got to do that work somewhere, but you do it away from your test so it doesn't distract from the test. And yeah, and, and that kind of thing can definitely t lead to less mocks. Uh, if you just learn to quickly build up that test infrastructure. And I don't think there's a lot of people talking about test infrastructure. But I found the more that I, I do and learn about that kind of thing, the easier my tests get and the better my tests get. Uh, and it goes back in, so things like that, so factories, not factories that hit the database, but just factories that create object graphs quickly for you. Uh, refactoring your test is a big thing. People don't do that, you know, pulling out um, bits of code that's set up, uh, and even assertions as well, you know, multiple assertions can often be made into one assertion. Uh, and then sharing test infrastructure as well. Um I share infrastructure between my acceptance tests and my integration tests because both use a database, so they both use the same code to interact with the database and so on. Uh, I think that's really important. You know, um, there's been a lot of kerfuffle in the last couple of years about you know decouple your application code from your framework, um, and the same can be said at some ex to some extent of decouple some of your test test code from your test framework. Um, and it's something I've, I mean, uh, I'm quite happy in my employment, but if I ever was going to be consulting, it's something I think I'd like to explore is some sort of um, test infrastructure style consulting where I can help you get that stuff set up. Um, I, I'm not, I'm less interested in training people about testing and TDD, but I am interested in enabling. So I don't want to give, you know, put slides in front of people and show them hypothetical situations of this is how you test this, this is how you test this I'd like to go to places and see what they've got, see how they're working now and build that infrastructure for them to start doing acceptance tests, to start having integration tests, to start using unit tests more effectively and that kind of interests me, yeah. so one day maybe, I don't know, but uh, not right now Cool Yeah, I'm still trying to struggle uh, I'm still struggling on figuring out my focus for my consulting um, you know there have been a couple of people I've talked to that sort of have an idea of like hey that would be my ideal kind of like what you just described and I still don't know exactly what my ideal situation would be uh, right now I'm 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 enjoying uh, a couple of the projects that I have where I'm basically consulting on architecture um, but I don't know how. I don't know how how often I'll be able to find those types of things. I don't know how many people out there are looking for uh, consulting on architecture, just because it's such a core thing that if uh, coming in and shoehorning an existing team into a completely foreign architecture from someone who's just coming in for a short time, um, I don't know how well received that would be by the team often um it, it might be something that you could sell to like the, the stakeholders like the the business side of the people but if there's not buy-in from the, the team it could be difficult i think um so i, I don't know it, it'll be interesting to see how how that plays out over the the next couple of months and year hopefully years um well you should have you considered sort of um more the auditing approach you know the uh, sort of the more classic consultant, the one who goes in, makes recommendations, then never goes back. You know, my uh, my dad always used to say that uh, 
having a consultant is like having a dog but barking yourself yeah well no i, I mean i guess I, I guess that's what it would be i guess that's what i'm i'm maybe it's a little yeah. different than what i'm saying but basically coming in and saying either you're you're starting from scratch i think this is what you should do or you already have a project and i think this is what you should do to change it i mean it's if I'm not actually the person making those changes, then it still requires the team who's going to make those changes to buy in, you know? So, yeah. so whether it's but, an audit or, you know, I mean, if I'm actually coming in and I'm going to architect it and build it and get everyone on board with architecture before I build it, that's one thing. But if, if I'm not actually building it um, and if it's, if there's a big existing team, I, I just, I, I haven't run into that yet. Um, and I'm not but sure how well that's going to work. <laughs> I, I see it as you're making suggestions to that existing team, especially mm-hmm. if you're not going to be running it because you've made suggestions mm-hmm. and if they're going to be running with what you've given them, they're still, uh, they're still in the position where they get to make the decisions. You've made suggestions. Yeah. So mm-hmm. while they might, you know, maybe a bit of dignity, they take a little bit of a hit when management says that they're bringing in a consultant to run an audit um and he's going to make recommendations. They still get to make those decisions at the end of the day. Whereas if you were made doing an audit, then you were brought in to implement your suggestions. Then you, I think you then you might hit into a few attitudes. Um, but I think less so if you're doing some sort of uh, the auditing and leaving them with their recommendations. Um, yeah. And I, I kind of like the idea of those things. We talked before about you know uh, productizing consulting. You know, so you could bang out some sort of product about you know architecture audits you're going to be i don't know the obviously everything could be customizable but maybe you do a five-day audit where you're on site for four days off site for a day doing your final write-up and things like that um i think there's there's mileage there and without running into some of those attitudes where you know you're the outside guy in an existing team telling them where they've done it all wrong and, mm-hmm. you know, trying to whip them into shape. But yeah, hey, so, so, it's so, easy for me to say. Yeah, so so far the, the experiences that I've had have actually been pretty positive, so I, I might not need to be be worrying about it. Um, so, yeah, it's, it ha- it's pretty much worked like that so far where, you know, basically offering suggestions and they're they're already not always taking all of them or they're they're still kind of going off on their own so um yeah i I can see that i i they've all been relatively small teams so far where i've I've been basically interacting with the lead person and the lead person's the implementer and it's been a very back and forth sort of thing where we're discussing things and whatnot um i just had i i've been i've been listening to some stories about some other people and i'm being I'm thinking about like uh, listening to a loosely coupled podcast recently, and they were talking about agile and bringing in like the agile trainers and teaching the team and coaching the team on you know the, these are some best practices sort of things, and then not everyone on the team being on board with those decisions and basically ruining the whole experience by having mm-hmm. one person not not buy into it. And I don't I, I I'm just so new to it. I don't know what kind of troubles I'll run into and that's something that I worry about often is you know what kind of what what am I not thinking about how is this going to hurt in the end either me or the client or whatever and I don't know I have a little bit of pessimism in me I guess of not not 
wanting to avoid the the things that are obviously going to go wrong because things will always go wrong somehow. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the, the the point was, I think it's pretty cool that you have uh, an idea, like a you have a pretty fine tuned idea of what you would do if you were going to go into consulting, and um, I think that's I think that's something that's important to have, and I'm still looking for that. So yeah, well, I mean, the reason I think about it is because I've got this lifestyle now where I work from home, and I would be very reluctant to go into a full time job in an office somewhere. So. If I ever find myself where I'm not in the job I'm in now, consulting is the thing I'd probably look to do because I don't want to go back and work nine to five in an office somewhere. I mean, don't get me wrong, I could do, especially when the kids get older and they're less interested in their uncool dad. Um, you know, I, I feel like that's happening already, and my daughter's only three. Uh, but um, for the time being, I'd like to be at home, and I like the flexibility. Um, and the other thing is I'm not all that keen on having uh, a boss around. Uh, I mean, my, I have a boss now, but he's so cool. He, you know, he's totally trusting me. He lets me do what I like. I, you know, and you know, I, I, I virtually could be my own boss in this position, uh, and I like that feeling of making my own decisions when I want to and whatnot. So yeah, does um, does your family have entrepreneurial blood? Like, so parents, relatives, uncles, sort of thing. Uncles and aunts. No, not really. Um, my dad tried at one point, but he was uh, swinging for the fences, and the bank wouldn't give him a mortgage, basically, or a loan, a business loan. He had a partner set up, um, and they had quite a sound business plan. But I don't know if it. I mean, my dad's. What I know of what he did in his job should have been enough to back back him in a way, but. Uh, he couldn't get the finance, um, so he worked. The I mean, he he was very good at what he did, and he was high high up position. But he was always he always had a boss, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was one of the things actually when I got offered this job, and I'd recently I'd only been in uh, my previous job for about two or three months um, with a really big company and. It, really secure position, uh, great pension, great salary, and all this kind of great benefits. And Rebecca was a little bit... Rebecca's my wife, just for listeners. She was a little bit hesitant about me taking this job because it's a tiny company in comparison. Fun story. My wife's name is Rebecca, too. (laughs) Yeah. And see, it was like my dad said to... It was only after Rebecca talked to my dad about it and my dad kind of said, "You just don't don't deny him it. Don't give him, let him take this opportunity because he'll never get, a, or he might not ever get a chance to, you know, do this kind of thing again." Because he'd worked for what I'd call the man for, you know, thirty, forty years, uh, and been very successful, but never had the opportunity to do what I was about to do. You know, work from home with small children around and that kind of thing. Um, but I can't. So he understands it, even though he never necessarily got to do it. I think. Um, I'm trying to think I don't think my mum has a little bit she runs her own training business um, but it's only part time type thing she's got the skills to do it but it's it's really quite a niche thing uh, so she, she charges well when she does it but it's you know the occasional training gig um, other than that no no entrepreneurial uh, background 
I don't think. Yeah, I think my, it's because I'm my... lazy. <laughs> yeah, you know, my, I... my my family has uh, a pretty pretty strong background in that. My my dad has his own business. Uh, uh, he actually does uh, plumbing and heating things. Uh, my mom helps out quite a bit with with his business, and uh, my sister actually owns two businesses at least. Uh, she has a fitness center, and she's been teaching dance for a long time, um, many, many years. Um, she has a dance studio now that I think they had as many as 300 kids one year. Um, so she, she it, my, uh, the, the town I grew up in, Minot, it's like uh, 40,000 people, I think, including the airbase that's nearby. Um, there was not a a dance scene at all before she she went there um or before she started up i mean there, there was a little bit there were a couple of little studios it had between 10 and 20 maybe 30 kids each but there's just it's just a massive thing now and there's like uh um the the college uh basketball court that uh, it's at the dome um, msu dome and she has several big performances there every year now for each for each class i think they get at least one or two big performances and she fills half of the college stadium, basically, like one part of the college stadium, um, with people watching their kids dancing. So it's kind of crazy that she sort of like built this little dance empire in Minot. It's kind of cool. Um, and then the the fitness center came later. So, I mean, she has uh, a lot of uh, entrepreneurial aspirations. And I think, I think we get that from our parents. Um, and my my dad's dad owned uh, a plumbing business as well. So my dad basically uh, went from there, and we moved to North Dakota, and he kind of started his own thing. And but his dad had done that as well. So it seems to go back quite a bit for us. And I think that um, I don't know. I feel like there there's pe- there are people who are like that, and I've never not really been that person. A whole lot. I've I've had a lot of full time jobs, uh, programming gigs, and whatnot over the years. But I definitely feel like I, I I can't do that a whole lot. You know, now that I'm now that I've really gotten a taste of sort of being more flexible and you know not being tied down to an office space and really being tied down to like a manager who daily comes in to see what I'm working on or whatever. Um, yeah, it's we go through that a lot trying to figure out okay well if, if the startup goes away and all of a sudden you know i haven't really built up the consulting thing again yet to to pay us what what am i what am i going to have to do to basically uh what, what are we willing to give up am i going to be able to go get a full-time job and am i going to be happy doing that um i don't know i i really want to try and make sure that i don't get stuck in that trap of yeah, it'll be really easy. I'll just go get a full-time job because I think that it could end up being really, really hard. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, I I would worry about that. I I wouldn't worry financially because I know I'd be able to find a job that pays well enough. It's just whether how happy I'd be in doing that. Um, yeah. But I'm also of the mind now that I have big responsibilities. You know, I have a mortgage, I have kids, and their happiness and their well-being will come first regardless so 
if I had to suck it up and go do a job I didn't like for a while that didn't pay as well, I'd do it. Um, but yeah, but that's exa- precisely why I'm trying to keep my options open by, you know, thinking about things like consulting. What would I do if, um, you know, I'd I'd still like to try and get some sort of info info product on the market. Um, as you know, I did at one point plan on writing a Silex book, um, ebook. My lack of motivation, a lack of effort, and also the recent sort of massive surge of PHP ebooks has kind of put me off doing that. Yeah. I, don't, I, I think that's a bad reason, if I'm honest, but it just seems like, I don't know, I, I don't think it is cheap now, um, or but it feels a little bit like it's way overdone now. Um, yeah. And I mentioned before yeah. about, uh, I did sort of start to, a couple of years ago, I started planning a podcast, a video, you know, screencast website. Um, and again, I've lacked the motivation, time, effort into that. And now it looks like Laracasts is doing really well. Um, I don't, I was never going to go for that angle of the Laravel thing or a one specific framework. And, uh, they, they cater for a lot of, um, levels between beginner, intermediate, advanced, uh, which I wasn't planning on doing. But again, kind of like, now that's been done, I just don't really feel like doing that. Um, so yeah, I'd like to get some sort of info product out on the market, but mm-hmm. um, I just don't find the time or the effort. It's quite hard. So I'm always thinking of ideas, but uh, I'm not putting anything into practice yet. Yeah. So I'm 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 an entrepreneur in training, really. I think is what I am. So I was talking to Matt in the Madison PHP channel the other day. Um, actually, yesterday or the day before actually and um, basically talking to him about uh, his agile uh, podcast that they had just recorded or had just released and um, and he he made some comment because he and I have been talking a little bit about the fact that we're talking about doing a podcast and uh, Patrick was sitting in the channel and he said so Bo you're doing a podcast now and then I said yeah and he said is that the new uh, writing a book Because yeah. uh, you know every you know everyone for a little while was writing a book. Now you know I don't I don't know how I feel about people looking at this as oh it's just just you know you guys are just starting a podcast because everyone else is. Um, but it was it was just funny because it tied into you saying that there's so many books out there now and who knows you know six months from now there could be yeah definitely you know, forty podcasts. <laughs> so I think it's a bit different though you know. Uh... We're we're not uh, putting a price tag on this for a start. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. this is we're producing free content for people. Yeah, I just see this as a different form of blogging. You know, that's the way I'm looking at this. So, yeah, and I think that it'll be, it's it's going to be. I mean, we already talked about the reasons why it'll be helpful for us. But yeah, I think that you know my blog. I haven't done anything since October. Yeah, I've I've published a bunch of Sculpt Insights since then but I haven't actually written any new blog posts. I think the most recent blog post on SourceMaven is uh, basically announcing that the um, Symphony Live video for my talk was posted. <laughs> so it's it's a really old, out-of-date post is basically, yeah, check out my video. And since then I've done you know a dozen different talks in different places and I haven't blogged about any of that. So this, this hopefully will be a good way to make sure that I'm constantly producing content that... Uh, we can actually put out there. So I haven't blogged since 2012. Um, in January, I 
as you know, I started, I redesigned my site and put it on Sculpin and moved from Jekyll to Sculpin, created a new theme for Sculpin. And I made a decision with the theme to have the front page just show posts from this year. And because I didn't have any posts, I put off putting it live with the full intention of writing some posts. But now we're in May and I've had that new version of my blog sat on my disc for five months without that first post of 2014. And I just thought, oh, well, I'm, I don't know when I'm going to write a blog. So I just pushed it. So mm -hmm. uh, my blog now runs on Sculpin. But nice. uh, when you go to it, it just says davedevelopment.co.uk. And that's about it, I think. <laughs> Somewhere on in the archive, you can see older older blog posts. Nice. But, yeah. Well, it looks like we're getting pretty long on time here. I like how we originally were talking, you know, we should do at least 30 minutes. Um, and yeah. now we've been talking for, uh, I don't know how long the actual uh, playtime will be, but it looks like I've been recording for almost an hour and a half now. So, um, yeah, so maybe we should, uh, do, do you want to call this or did you have anything else you want to add at the end or? No, not at all. Uh, I think we can call this and uh, get to work and uh, chopping it up and getting it live, yeah? Okay. Well, we can call this a wrap on episode one then. Cool. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, uh, thank you for listening to episode one. And, yeah, thank you very much. Bye-bye. All right. Well, we can call that a, uh, a wrap. Yay! <laughs>